It is the distant future. Join our dynamic time-traveling duo, Josh and Bita, as they journey across the ages searching for pop culture artifacts previously lost to the sands of time. Welcome to another episode of Josh and Beta versus the Multiverse, episode eight. I am so excited to host this one. But before we get started with the topic, let me introduce myself. I'm your host, Beta Roxana. And with me, I got awesome director, filmmaker, Josh Hernandez. And of course, the awesome changing voice of Sean. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> All righty. For this episode, I am so excited to talk about this. I love this movie since I was younger, and that will be Some Like It Hot. Mm. I know. So classic. I, I prefer mine. I prefer mine lukewarm, but it's fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> a classic film from 1959, directed by Billy Wider. Starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemon. Sorry, I love saying his last name. I love Jack Lemon. But yeah, let's let's get started. Let's get into this. I'm kind of curious of what um, Josh and Sean has to say about this film. Have any of you guys seen or watched the movie or heard about it? No, I had not seen this movie before. You know, I'd heard about it. And of course, Marilyn Monroe being just this huge pop culture icon. Um, but no, I had never seen it before. I didn't grow up with this. I, I didn't really grow up with any of the movies of really? this time. Other like more into, yeah, maybe more into the seventies. Um, but, uh, yeah, never seen it before. Hmm. Same, same. I'm in the same boat. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny how, like how popular this movie is and like how it's always like in one of the top 100, of like all time, like one of the best movies ever. And I, um, I think part of it, it's because I'm just not a Marilyn Monroe fan. I think, um, I've never really seen the appeal, like what guys really saw in her. Like she was just like a, you know, the ditzy blonde and I don't know. just, she didn't really (laughs) strike me as someone interesting. I'm more of a classy dame kind of guy. So like Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, that was like more my, my jam, but uh, yeah, Audrey Hepburn kind of the big reason why I did. All right. Yeah. Which is understandable. Uh, So this, so this was the first time I had really seen this movie in preparation for the podcast. That was my first exposure to it. Um, Overall, I liked it and you know, we'll get into the nitty gritty of it later on, but yeah, to answer your question, I had not seen this prior to preparing for the podcast. It's understandable for that. Yeah. It's, it's like a hit or miss when people, um, when I tell them about the movie, and they're like, what is that? Like, it's it's new for them, which is so weird because it was the popular film uh, back then and still is the classic hit. But the first time I watched it, I was younger. I was like 10. And 
in the Bay Area, actually. So the part where they were like, we're in Florida. I kind of bought it at the first time. <laughs> I bought the whole thing. And I'm like, yes, they went to Florida. Oh, my God, that is so cool. I want to go to Florida. And then the second time when I moved to San Diego, that's when I watched it. And I was like, like those bastards lied. <laughs> like, that's not Florida. That's Coronado. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, apparently, um, because Marilyn Monroe had her uh, issues, many, many issues, the director wanted to, like, make it easy as possible to, like, wanted to make it easy as possible for Marilyn Monroe to basically uh, stay on set, roughly, and to, like, be reliable. So they moved the whole production to San Diego, where, yeah, uh, there's the the there's, like, a mythology behind Marilyn Monroe's, like, performance and all... (laughs) the difficulties that went into getting her (laughs) like just regular footage shot of her. It's really interesting. Um, I I'm also on the bandwagon of Josh of, you know, other than like seeing the posters of her and like her standing over the grate where she's like holding down her dress. Like I just, it's just kind of ingrained in our heads that she was this big sex icon and everything. And, And definitely watching this, I, I didn't really get it. Uh, maybe at the time I can see her being like, Oh, she's, she plays a great drunk because she probably was, uh, she, she has the best drunk eyes. Like the first scene of her, she's just, just out of like, I don't know if it was actual acting. I get the feeling that not a lot of it was acting. It's funny uh, when you say that because that wasn't their choice no one else wanted to take the role and they were landing on Marilyn Monroe because Marilyn was like, I need the money. Right. They're like, we need a movie star. (laughs) So that's how they got Marilyn Monroe on the set in the first place. So that's quite, I understand what you guys were saying, but at that time, the, the director had no other choice. And it was funny because he wanted Frank Sinatra to play the lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Which, he never showed up, <laughs> man. If if Jack Lemon was was originally supposed to be Frank Sinatra, I I definitely would not have enjoyed this movie nearly as much. Jack Lemon was this movie for me. Like I, it it wouldn't be this the same. I heard, yeah, that, I don't know if I see that. The, the other roles were fine, but Jack Lemon was the shining star that I was just like, I just want to watch the scenes with him. <laughs> And it's great because uh, Tony um, and Jack did it. Curtis, yeah. He made it happen, yeah. They did an amazing job. And for them to take the role, they were on board. Not to mention, I think, Tony Mm -hmm. was the the producer as well. They made him the lead and the producer. So he was kind of doing everything. He was on board. (laughs) Thank you, Frank Sinatra, for not showing up at that lunch meeting. Um, <laughs> just for them to get it. And then Marilyn Monroe was like on board because they needed a celebrity. Um, but yeah, that that was Yeah, before we get too far into performances, you want to give the movie synopsis real quick so we all have a a base understanding. Synopsis. I hope I'm saying it correctly because my words are just scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> we got our own Marilyn Monroe here. We do. We do. <laughs> we gotta write down what you're looking for in the drawer for your lines. No. Uh. <laughs> After two men musicians witness a mob hit, they flee the state 
in an all-female band disguised as woman, uh, but further complication sets in. So that was the whole setting of that film. And some of you are thinking, huh, I feel like I've seen this before. And before hmm. I even bring it up, did any of you notice it was rewritten? I I heard it was, and I heard there was like a lot of uh, test viewings where they would change quite a bit of stuff around, like especially apparently the audiences were just laughing way too much, which this is a really funny movie um, that they had to they had to um, they had to rewrite oh. a lot of the things to give pauses for the laughter because mm-hmm. people were checking it up too much. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they were they were getting yelled at saying, OK, we got to keep it down. So like, I'm sorry. People were like holding back tears and it's hilarious. But when I'm saying rewritten, um, this film w- was written by a French filmmaker. Um, and then I think the Germans took it which I wrote down the name, but enunciating it is really hard. It's Fenfer de Lebron, mm-hmm. which is like a different, uh, a different meaning, but the same scenario type. And then it got rewritten again when Billy took it. But this time he's like, you know what? I don't want to continue doing the same thing. So he brought the mobsters in. Yeah, I... I heard or uh, in the rewriting, like originally it was just going to be like they needed money. Yeah. So they and I I it added so much more that like so much more stake that there was a mob hit and all this violence and danger and they're having to run from that. Like that added so much more because when the movie starts, it's just like we ain't getting no gigs, we need money. And there's yeah. like this mention of this all girls band. And okay. <laughs> this is where I got a little confused because Joe originally doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But Jerry does. Jerry's into it. He's like, yeah, we can put on wigs. We can do all this. Jerry, Jerry turns him down. No, no. Joe turns Jerry down. Yes. So then the mob hit happens. They witness that they run away. And then Joe's like, this is the best idea ever. We're going to go through with this. And then Jerry's like, what are you crazy? I was kind of, wait, Jerry was on board Jerry was on board, and then because the mob had happened, he's not like I was kind of whose idea was this? But <laughs> I I don't know. Um, it didn't really matter in the end. Like everything continues on the say la vie, the world turns. But um, uh, it's funny yeah. because the hook never grasp anyone's attention, and that's what I learned as a as a writer, like film writing scripts. And then when you're filming, you have to make sure the that the um, the hook is like the best thing you want so people can grasp it. And it's, it's funny when, the, when that came up, I think the, the one thing that people really loved the most was them dressing up as a female and this by all means in the fifties, this is like breaking the status quo yeah. for many of this type. And for the director to say, it's a very risque, yeah, very risque movie for sure. I was, I was very curious, it being a comedy, how much of the jokes were going to pertain to, hey, it's girls dressed as, or it's guys dressed as girls. Isn't that funny? And there wasn't a whole lot of it. I was actually surprised with how um, unproblematic a decent portion of this movie was. Like, for the most part, the jokes are just well-written jokes. Uh, of, uh, 
near the end is where I have more of my problems with the movie. Um, it's, uh, it's not played too much of these guys can't dress as girls. I mean, they're kind of, they're somewhat con artists and it, uh, it's progressive in a conservative way. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's so weird because it challenged a lot of the status quo and whenever, um, as you're watching it again and again, you mm-hmm. start looking at it going, huh? Yeah. You, I understand now. Oh, okay. The, the, the words that they wrote on the script, I understand it. It's kind of connecting, but the one thing I realized, and I didn't notice before, and when they were working with the two guys, um, Jack was feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. To where the, he has to feel comfortable in it. And for, uh, I think, no, sorry. Jack was the one that was enjoying it. He was making faces. Yes. He is having the he greatest was having time, a time of his life where he's like, if I do this, would it be funny? He <laughs> like, is like, he's like the prototype to Jim Carrey in this movie. Yes. Like he is, is so many facial work, so much, just awesome line delivery. Like some of my favorite stuff is just how he delivers lines and how funny he makes those lines. Like it is, he is having a ball when he, when he starts dancing with his millionaire, uh, uh, suitor, suitor, if you will, like he's, he's going at it. He's dancing. It's awesome. Yeah. So can I just say t- uh, Tony Curtis, when he first begins speaking like a woman, I don't know how much, like manipulation they had to do with his voice, but that like, if that was actually him, that was pretty fucking spot on. Like that was it. The, the first voice is definitely not his. Well, it's so uh, I read up and what they did was they took his voice because he was having a really hard time talking in falsetto. Yeah. Keeping the falsetto mm -hmm. uh, for all of us. He was having a real struggle with that. And of course, as you mentioned before, Bita, he had a lot of insecurities about dressing as a woman and he just wasn't, he was very stiff. He wasn't comfortable. He was not comfortable and it shows, but, um, uh, yeah. So they, they took his voice, modulated it with a female actress's voice. And yeah, that first, I was really impressed. I'm like, Whoa, like it wasn't super over the top. Uh Like, I'm a lady and my breasts hurt. Like it wasn't. It it it, ma- it matched with his voice. It it made sense. Like it was kind of like a deeper a deeper tone, like a smoky tone that that could pass easily for Tony Curtis speaking as a woman. Um, yeah, or or just a woman. Like it could like it sounded well, and like it wasn't a caricature. It was just like oh, that could be a woman's voice. <laughs> and so yeah that was it was heavily modulated and there's definitely sometimes where you just hear his falsetto and it's just like oh yeah maybe you should have done the modulation but uh, also <laughs> i don't know what i was gonna say is um i know the uh, the production did hire um a famous drag artist at the time barbette who trained trained with the um the actors taught them how to do a convincing female voice so there was some like training behind the scenes but you know of course how much of that actually 
managed to make it on on film, I don't really know for sure. Well, 80%, they were dressed as women um, or drag for like 80% of the time on that film. So it, it takes time. You know what they did, though? They wanted to know if anyone will recognize them. So for the whole good day, they dressed in their costume with their makeup and everything, their outfits, and they walked around the Universal's lot saying hi to everyone. And they pulled it off. They were like, this is okay. We found our costume. We found our looks. This is better. So that's what they did. And I thought that was hilarious because for them to do that, I mean, right on point. Uh, So I I have two things for this. So like you said, there was somebody that was uh, helping them with the voice, the famous uh, drag performer. Um, I don't know if it was the same person that was trying to teach them how to walk in high heels like women. But after a while, they were like, we don't want to walk like women in high heels. We want to walk like men pretending to be women in high heels. So there's a lot. They're stumbling around. There's one scene uh, where they're running away from like the mob boss at the end where I think... I don't know if it was Joe or Jerry, but he hauls his ass up the stairs and like three bounds in high heels. I don't know how he didn't like roll an ankle or like he he just jumps up that thing like Spider-Man in high heels. I was impressed. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of them like fumbling around and having a real hard time walking. Um, The other thing uh, with their makeup. Apparently, it was giving their skin a, a greenish hue. I did not know that. And so that's why it was shot. Oh. Yeah. So they ended up shooting it in black and white. But Marilyn Monroe was was dead set on all of her movies being filmed in color. She didn't want any no black and white movies. So it took a long time convincing her to do this movie with the black and white thing. And along with um, Tony Tony Curtis. Along with his insecurities, mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe had a bunch of insecurities about her acting, about her image and everything. So it was this big mess of a lot of insecure actors and then Jack Lemmon just having the time of his life. <laughs> no, there were there were so many trouble on that set. I agree on that. Yeah. The director was like. After it was shot, he's like, I don't want to see Marilyn Monroe. I don't want to be in contact with Marilyn Monroe. She is not invited to the premiere or any parties. She's the worst thing I've ever worked with in my entire life. And my psychiatrist and therapist say I should never work with her again. Thank you. (laughs) I cannot afford this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like uh, Billy Wilder, he... Eventually, it came around, and he was just like, "Actually, this was a good like." She was able to, we were able to make this a good performance and a good movie. And I, I don't know if they ever actually worked together again, but um, yeah, he was he had a lot of harsh words for a while about Marilyn Monroe. Billy Wilder's Billy Wilder, like the guy was a really huge deal in Hollywood at that time. So, like being able to work with him was like. You know, kind of, it was like working with um, Cecil B. DeMille at the time. Like it was very, it was a huge, it was a huge deal. And I remember um, reading the the part where um, Tony Curtis is breaking up with Marilyn Monroe over the phone. Apparently, like that whole that scene, Marilyn actually didn't even take the. She didn't bother to re, to uh, to learn her lines. 
So she's actually reading the lines in front of her. Like they had someone like you could see her eyes kind of darting back and forth because they had someone like you can... put the lines up in front of her and yeah. she's just reading it. Oh yeah. She had a trainer. She had a voice. I'm sorry. She had a voice trainer. <laughs> no, which just like the thought of like, you know how they have animals on movie sets and they have trainers. I just like the thought of Marilyn Monroe having her own, like, which coincidentally is what we do with Beta for this podcast. Yeah. <gasps> Hurtful. <laughs> yeah. There's the scene where she's uh, after the breakup where she's like looking for the whiskey in their dresser and so so apparently she just has the one line of just like where's the whiskey or i forget what exactly but it's only like three words she couldn't say it right she could never say it exactly right and so billy wilder put in the dresser drawer her line which was just like three or four words but she couldn't remember which drawer it was in and she wouldn't open the right one so he had to put her 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 dialogue oh in every drawer just in like apparently just in case. that like <laughs> it would be like 50 takes and the other actors would be exhausted and just like where's I, the bourbon yes that took like 59 takes yeah she would like she would say bourbon where the or where's the oh my god where's the bonbons or where's like just just 50 some odd takes of her not <laughs> and she speaks uh, there are certain times like uh, like the romantic scene between her and uh, the captain <laughs> millionaire that uh, uh, uh-huh. Joe play- oh god his Carrie accent Grant. apparently it was supposed it like to a, be um, yeah he was supposed to it was a parody impression of Cary Grant really? I didn't hear Cary Grant I heard something else <laughs> <laughs> I heard like the bastard child of uh, of Michael Caine that could be it <laughs> or something like in the movie in the movie, Jerry points out, he's just like, what is that accent? Nobody speaks like that. <laughs> well, apparently, so yeah, it's a parody impression of Cary Grant. And apparently, um, uh, Billy Wilder loved it so much, he told him to keep doing it. Because originally, it was just like him doing a little bit of improv. And apparently, Cary Grant, when he saw the movie, he heard it. And he jokingly said, I don't sound like that. He doesn't. He doesn't sound like that. I <laughs> And he delivers the line in this b- b- baloney accent and just like, oh, some like it hot. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and that's why we call it the shell. Shell oil? It's like, really? That's cheesy. It's cheesy, but it, like they set up the shells and like, there's at least some like well-written setup yeah. for the lines that are delivered. And he has some funny quips when he's like showing Marilyn around or sugar, sugar. Um, Speaking of sugar, the line, it's me, sugar. You know how many times it took her to get it right? It took 83 attempts. Sugar me, it's. I was like, how do you mess up that line? It's me, sugar. I don't know how many different drugs she was on, but. Well, she was dealing with depression, not to mention she was struggling and coping of um being pregnant because she did oh yeah she had a lot of miscarriages yeah yeah i was gonna say wasn't she pregnant at during filming she was gaining weight she was losing weight she was everything 
and she was very insecure about her image and weight. And uh, I remember during the scene that where she's singing in that yeah. nightclub or whatever, and you could she did look slightly like portly. The, I guess you could say <laughs> she looked a bit, a bit port. She looked a bit uh, portly. I thought she looked fine, but I don't. I don't have like this image of like this bean pole Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. Marilyn. You're 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 mixing up. You're Marilyn mixing Manson up your has put on a few here. pounds himself. But uh, <laughs> we're all stars now. That's all we can afford. Show. Don't don't um, sing anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I was also intrigued because in the band, in this all female band, Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Char- Charlie Monroe, no, um, Marilyn Monroe has a little ukulele and sings. I don't know of many jazz bands, and my knowledge of jazz is not the, the grandest, but I don't know of many jazz bands that just have a ukulele player. <laughs> Play- yeah. player, player. <laughs> I, the rumor is, r- the yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he left everything but an empty thing of toothpaste. Um uh apparently the rumor is like they gave her the ukulele <laughs> to funny. show off her uh assets a bit more her huge tracts of land if you will um you know what gets me the most is the line saying see not smart and i'm like ooh honey yes i know it is just and it's funny because she did she was telling um the the cast or like different producer saying, I don't want to play that dumb blonde. And yet she, she, she plays any movie that I've seen her in. She plays exactly like that. So it's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's definitely, that's, she's just, it's just her being her. Definitely wasn't the uh, feminist icon role uh, here. Yeah. By the way, I, I think it's hilarious that Sean was making fun of, Marilyn Monroe for not remembering her lines and like screwing it up, like screwing up the order. And then you go on and, and get her name wrong twice. Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Good old Charlie Monroe. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm not getting, I'm not getting paid the big bucks here. Yeah. That's I'll true. remember my lines when I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we had to put the script in, in all of Sean's drawers just to make sure he, yeah. he it's true. <laughs> uh, by the way, a little bit of trivia for you. I don't know if you um, if you read up on this, but did you know that the licensing from Marilyn Monroe's name and likeness currently nets the her, her estate two million dollars a year just to to give permission to use her name and her image for like promotions or commercials or what have you. It still rakes in two million dollars a year in earnings. Man, I wish my grandma was a sex icon in the fifties. Right? Like that's that's still for someone who is popular, you know, that long ago. <laughs> two million a, a year, like even in in in, in modern times, like in current times, like that's Ooh. that's still it's pretty significant. That explains why Billy is like almost broke and doesn't want to work with her. Well, Billy's okay. dead, my friend. 
<laughs> well, I meant back okay. then. Like he so, was completely saying he cannot afford her one bit sure, for the next one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody involved in this movie is dead. <laughs> well, because Beto yeah, was using pretty much tense, so I was like trying to. I'm sorry. Uh, we're... I want to get back to my me being the mess up here. This isn't this isn't a grammar <laughs> podcast, Josh. This is a, a movie podcast. <laughs> Potato, potato. <laughs> you say potato. I say potato. Um. Oh my god! Despite of that, what do you think about the movie? I'm sorry. Well, There's so many Marilyn Monroe problems on set. We can. This can be the whole podcast. Yeah, for. I'm sure. Like, there's there could be a documentary, like two hour long movie on just the struggles that Marilyn Monroe had and the the problems she caused in the film. But um, yeah. Is there, I, I could, I have a little bit of a tangent. I, I said most of this movie is unproblematic. I'd probably say about 70 to 75% is not very problematic. And then about 25 is kind of, oh, I, I can actually see you doing yeah, that. Pulling on the collar. I can actually here. see yeah, you I'm doing that while around. you're watching the movie. Like your little bow tie starts spinning. <laughs> 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 so my biggest problem with this movie I love how it's set up and there's like some real pressure. Oh no, the mob's after us. So to not die, we will con our way into this female group. It's like, okay, let's see the shenanigans they get into and how they get around uh, not being caught. Instead, they double down and like continue to con more people. <laughs> and halfway through the movie, as, as Joe is conning and lying to uh, sugar uh, <laughs> Jerry's character is conning and, and, and mooching off the millionaire trying to abuse this. And it's like, I don't want these two to succeed the whole time. Joe is on the boat with Marilyn or sugar. I'm wanting him to fail. I don't yeah. want him to succeed and them to get it on. Like I was hoping something would interrupt them. Like uh, I, I didn't want them to succeed. I wanted them to get their comeuppance because th it's not just like they're lying to survive. They're lying to, to, to just con people. Like they, and this is where Hollywood comes in. They do that. They, they make this cheesy, weird movie. And it's funny because Billy was like, I was not expecting this to be a hit, which is true. We, we were like, I would be thinking of that too. If I saw it again, I'll be like, yeah, you're right. Sean's right about this. Oh my God. What the hell is this? The funny part was, is uh, Jack's role playing that um, character who needs to get the millionaire's attention and keep him attracted. I thought that was hilarious. And not to mention the Moroccans came in because he need they needed him to do something and when they give him the moroccans like to put yeah that dance was, around with that was i was like this is perfect this is perfect oh was, my god that was one of the post edits where like if everybody was laughing too much so they added the maracas to give like space in between the jokes yeah yeah, oh, yeah. that's I, I heard i read about that yeah they like i guess the uh the, the test audience right was uh they were laughing so hard they had to add the maracas to add a little gap <laughs> for the laughter 
I do oh just I do just want to take a minute. Every time either Beater or I have said maracas, the audience can't see, but we're both just like doing a little shimmy with the maraca, the invisible maracas. Like this is not an or a visual platform, but I just wanted to get that across. Every time and we I say did maracas. my makeup today as well, so you yeah, look beautiful, darling. Oh, thank you. You were saying a face, a face made for podcasting. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> you were saying. I don't think I don't think you got it. That's okay, okay. Move on. Mind. Let's move on. Let's move on, darling. And of course, I'm talking to Sean. <laughs> no. Oh darling. no. Um. So, you know, kind of, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, you know, just sort of the how how LGBTQ friendly this movie was for yes. its time, and how, like Sean said, it was a it was very um conservatively. What was yeah. the word you said? Uh, like cons- conservatively. <laughs> um. Uh, uh, progressive progressive for you know for 1950s this was a very it, progressive movie obviously by by our standards it's not it's, but, um <laughs> but here's here's the point that i i want to make about that so um at the time in hollywood um there was the this the uh, motion picture production code or the Hayes code as it was known and the Hayes code was like one of those things in 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 the movie making biz at the time that prevented certain things from being filmed. Like you couldn't uh, have like the, the, uh, the bad guys win at the end. You couldn't have like sexual intercourse, obviously like uh, on camera and stuff like that. Um, Sean, did you want to say something? Yeah. Just one of the big ones was always like, you could never show, even if it was a husband, a wife, a husband and a wife in the same bed, they always had to be in like separate stuff. So things like that, where it was just like, this is too obscene for the viewing public. For Christians. Yeah. yeah, For for, for a good Protestant Christian community. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently this movie helped replace the Hayes code. Like that's how influential this movie really was in sort of moving things from the status quo into this like new paradigm shift, um, into modern filmmaking, I guess you could say. So that, that's how impressive this movie really is. Like in, in, in the long term, like how influential it was in replacing the Hayes code and moving into a more, uh, I guess like, lenient Hollywood yeah. in which you could yeah. get away with it, a little bit more. It cl- it definitely pushed the boundaries and was able to pave the way for a lot of, like I see so many, so much like b- the blueprinting of like the future comedy. Like I see so much of the airplane movies or the Mel Brooks spoof movies. Like there's, there's just this like stew brewing of all like my, where my favorite comedy comes from. I could see it in this. I can see it in the writing and the jokes and a bit of the slapstick. Like, it definitely, you know, took from the Marx Brothers and kind of, kind of the uh, Charlie Chaplin esque uh, comedy too. But it was this like middle ground of the between that I really appreciated seeing. And uh, yeah, it, it. So the movie was made 1959, but it takes place in the 1920s during Prohibition. Yes, and, and so that's one thing to take into account. Like this is portraying the 1920s in in the 1950s <laughs> um and it was cool to see like oh an all-female band like all these women can play, can rock these instruments awesome like there's there's cool representation there and um uh it, it 
the knowledge of of gender back in the 50s i mean it's still people don't really grasp it today <laughs> but especially back then like uh <laughs> right. it's funny how many little hints of trans things not that they probably knew anything about transness but like the scene where he's uh telling him just just remind yourself you're a girl you're a girl <laughs> and he's like i'm a girl i'm a girl i'm a girl i'm a girl, <laughs> I'm a girl. I, wish I, I, was I could dead. totally see like the the trans meme community kind of making little snippets out of it like or uh there was one joke that i thought was great uh joe uh, has a real disgust over the thought of jerry marrying uh this man he doesn't outright say uh gay is blasphemy but that's pretty much the context in between the lines like they were skirting around not 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 saying the word gay and just like but i love he delivers the line like but you're not a girl you're a guy and why would a guy want to marry a guy (laughs) jerry just goes security (laughs) oh oh beautiful line great and it just um the ending is always best. I love the ending, yeah. and the writers did a fantastic job for that. I think that was the one scene that I had seen before actually viewing this, because it is a very famous ending sequence where, hmm. <laughs> although I don't like that they got away and they're speeding off into the sunset and sugars with Joe, even though she's clearly shallow, only wants money. Like, what's, what's the line? She's like, I don't... I don't I don't care if a man has money just as long as he has a yacht and his own personal railroad car and toothpaste like she's clearly like shallow and constantly you can tell how stupid she is right <laughs> and she's like smuggling in liquor and shampoo bottles into the band like they've caught her several times she's clearly like an alcoholic and has issues yet these guys are just like head over heels because I get she has a bit of a butt in her dress and they're just like oh mama um And so even though it's all pretty crummy people, when you get down to it, they all have this happy ending and they're driving away in the boat. And this whole time, Jerry is trying to pull off this facade that he's trying to at first. Okay. I'm going to take a little, little, sorry, one, one thing, and then I'll let you guys speak. Uh, (laughs) Oh, thank you. So at one point I thought the movie was going to be very uh, self-aware when the, the Joe and Jerry uh, are kind of are harassed by other men thinking they're women. And I thought it was going to be like a clear, like, like something in their heads turns where it's just like, Oh man, I've been treating women wrong. Like I finally understand what it feels like to be harassed instead they like two minutes of talking about it and how terrible men are. And then he's like, I can't wait to being that again. Why do I have to be a woman? (laughs) And, and then they continue to lie to the women and manipulate. And it's like, it was almost there. It was almost self-aware enough, but it just kind of like, ah, let's not try and really change anything. Let's keep the, Let's just go back to the way things were. So especially with the line on the train where he trips over and the guy's like patting his butt. He's like, upsy daisy. He's like, fresh. Like, <laughs> like what are you? Yeah. I like, there was such a beautiful chance to like, to help open like the eyes of the audience to be like, wow, women do really have it rough. It's like, they're, they're these giant masculine figures that are still getting harassed because they're women. I think they say it's like, it doesn't matter as long as you have the wig and a skirt and guys will just be like, it's like a bowl seeing red. And it's like, 
well, maybe, maybe, maybe we should stop doing that. Nope. I can't wait to go back to being the bull is what like <laughs> Jerry says. Like I've seen the Maltese Falcon and uh, other Humphrey Bogart stuff. Cause what I was going to say is like, I, I, I feel like guys dressing up as women was like such a common form of entertainment at that time for like, for comedy oh, yeah. routines and like, like World it's, War II, it's- that generation <laughs> had this like strange fascination there's how many pictures how many pictures of soldiers are dressed in drag and like performing for each other yeah yeah like there's this like strange fascination that generation had with men dressed up as women and like oh like that's like a huge like huge laugh i don't so i just don't see it another little diatribe i grew up in the the south i went to high school in the south and my little tiny teeny tiny high school with a graduating class of like 65 students we would have mock homecoming homecoming where we would have the homecoming king and queens but they were gender swapped so you would dress in the opposite and that like as uh homophobic and racist as those people were oh man those boys dressing like girls and girls dressing like boys couldn't been any funnier it was the it was the most funny thing they'd ever seen and like i took part of part in it because i'm like i don't care if i dress like a girl like i it's, it looks like a conservative yeah, like they love that uh, not to get political but just look at anything steven crowder does it's just like a guy dressing as a girl oh my god how ridiculous it's like it's equivalent to blackface it's just like <laughs> guys this can't this, this is the height of humor yeah but i mean for this film to take that risk and do that what they just did that that just opened doors for and- gay people women black people um any part of the society right now like this is amazing that they took that risk and i feel like i applaud them for that because they took that risk and and i applaud that even though it is like the main plot of the film not a whole lot of jokes centered around necessarily oh how funny is it that a guy is dressing like a girl like it was there was just like well written turn of phrases and just really funny jokes like the beginning uh, guys like oh I, I better I better go before uh, the spat sees me or it'll be goodbye Charlie and the sergeant goes goodbye Charlie <laughs> like, just little funny things like that like that's what drives the movie not necessarily like oh a guy in a dress <laughs> so like that's what I can appreciate from it that it wasn't solely about that like there was a lot of just little funny like a lot of little funny jokes that just like constantly happen their final line though i love that final line at the end of the Uh, movie saying oswood i can't get pregnant nobody's perfect no 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 no, it's like he's like he starts off it's just like nobody's perfect i'm I'm not a real blonde (laughs) it's just like i don't care it's like uh, i'm not a real blonde not a problem doesn't matter Uh, doesn't matter we we can we can adopt, uh, or uh, and then he tries to give one more. So it's like I've been living with a saxophonist for three years. Like I forgive you, <laughs> and then he finally drops the line. Or he takes off his wig. He's like, "Oh, I'm a man," <laughs> and he just looks dead at the camera. And goes like, "Nobody's perfect," and that's that's what the movie ends on, and it's great. That was so progressive. That was so well written and so progressive. Like at the same time, it was such a wonderful. And ending. it's it's so again oddly conservatively progressive, where like. I can see, uh, you know, the more conservative uh, audience of the 50s and 60s getting a real chuckle out of that. Well, it's also like 
it, it's it's in its own way progressive. Like I can't think of a line from that era that was that much like, I don't care if you're a man, <laughs> whatever, let's do this. Right. <laughs> like right. Equalism, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Equality. I like equalism. I'm an equalist. Equalist. I'm an equalist. What is equalism? Uh, I know, I know, I know, Sean. uh, I know you said this isn't a a grammar. Do you really need to correct me? The the grammar, not the grammar Nazi. I I really do. Me being right is more important than than having. Just understandable. I respect. Kind of, kind of realizing that. No. This is slowly gonna. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. Oh, <laughs> that happens. Uh, so anyway, just just to uh, kind of change gears a little bit, um, favorite scenes in this movie. Uh, Bita, oh, I mean, let's start with I you. I mean, yay. Uh, favorite scene, I or scenes doesn't have to be one. I just love the elevator scene. That that scene is so cool where he goes in the elevator with the millionaire and then you can mm. see that whole thing going up and it goes down. <laughs> I like, it's like, hi, I'm not like that. He's talking to the elevator boy like, uh, take us around the park and take it slow. And <laughs> shows oh my gosh. And A lot then, of little funny dialogue like that, but yeah, then he gets slapped and he walks off. And But that was my favorite. I love the scene where they're climbing down from their room just to escape and it's funny because i went to coronado with a friend and i was sitting in that area and i'm like oh my god it's around here (laughs) they they were coming down this area and it took people a while to figure out what i was talking about because i realized (laughs) (laughs) and for listeners who are who are not in california this is coronado california yeah if you have not seen the hotel you must come to san diego it's a, it's a, it's a big old bridge <laughs> there's a bridge you need to cross a, and then big... when you get there you just pop, find parking and it's just like a yeah yeah and it smells like whale's vagina oh <laughs> boy we're not gonna get anyone in. I, I i think it means saint diego um <laughs> what's it? <laughs> it now let's agree to disagree um I could agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, if you throw an anchorman like line at me, I'm going to quote the rest of the movie. So let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those those two uh, will be like my favorite. Uh, the yacht is kind of like cheesy. Who made your cocktail? Your wife? No, my <laughs> cocktails man do it. Like to me, that's just. Are you are you interested in, in me in about me and my, uh, having a wife? Like, no, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm well, I'm not married. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> What about you, Sean? Uh, fa- favorite uh, favorite scenes? So, any scene with Jack Lemon, just like the whole dancing sequence, and after when he's like talking about like how how much of a wonderful night he had with Joe, like I love that scene. Um, but <laughs> there's two there's two things that really caught me off guard. One <laughs> is Spatz's henchman, the mob boss's henchman. Like they, they're like the first thing you see in the movie. And I I swear the director went, bring me the ugliest fucking dudes we have in this area. Like these guys look like they stormed Normandy and like, and I've just been drinking. Like everybody has big whiskey noses. Um, But the one standout that I saw 
His name's Harry Wilson. He's he's the guy with the the probably he has a disease that like uh ex- makes his facial features. Say, he did, he yes. has a he has a uh, he some does, sort of he does have an actual uh, disease. So I'm not going to sit here and make fun of it. It is he's yeah. a very unique face. Um, mm. But the thing that got me was anytime he said a line, I didn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> But he became, but he became like my favorite part of this movie. Anytime he yeah. dropped the line, like uh, they're the chief of police or whatever busts the the funeral that they're having. Oh that's a God, really yeah. a, really a speakeasy that they're serving coffee. That's eighty five percent proof. Um, <laughs> there's the I didn't want my coffee. I want my coffee. Like that guy. Um, and and Harry Wilson like. Uh, uh, oh, the chief of police grabs this glass of milk. All the mobsters are drinking milk because they're just they're just trying to enjoy this establishment. They're not really running anything. And he sniffs the milk, and <laughs> the henchman goes, "Ah, oh, milk." <laughs> I was like, "What? What did he say?" I'm sorry. Did he say our milk? Bar milk. <laughs> he has such this interesting accent. Like at uh, later when the what's his name, Baby Bonaparte, Little Bonaparte, um, the, the leader, the whole big leader of the of the mob that ends up killing Spats and his henchmen. That was fantastic. That was it, was a, it was a really cool scene. Like, oh, well, <laughs> what happened here? Oh, there was something in the cake that didn't agree with him. <laughs> No, the little Bonaparte has like a line. It's just like, what do you want to make a federal case about it? <laughs> the chief yeah. goes, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> I'm the freaking chief of police. Let's take this to the, take this to the Supreme court. That's why I'm here. Um, that, that character that you were mentioning, the guy with the, with the uh, condition, it's, it's called acromegaly. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a, uh, it has to, it's like an, uh, some sort of, um, uh, it affects the growth hormone. Uh, gland and so it causes like yeah. hands and feet and nose to like kind of keep growing he, can my man's got some big hands yeah yeah there's a couple of scenes where he's just got some massive and if it hands. makes you feel better um, apparently he did proclaim himself hollywood's ugliest man so he 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 was kind of he, uh he 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 no he did he owned it he knew he told he he was the one saying it like proudly yeah he pitched himself as hollywood's hollywood's ugliest man so he was you know he kind of made fun of himself i just thought he had plenty of work like dating back to the freaking 20s like he was in so many movies as some type of henchman and it seemed to only really affect like this disease only affected him later in life apparently it uh just kind of happens um just started. Um, mm. There was the other, the only other Spats henchman that's named on yeah. IMDb is Mike Mazurki, who was the other guy that they talked to. There's like two henchmen that didn't say a thing. And then there were these two guys. Uh, apparently he was a former wrestler that uh, was snapped up by Hollywood. Just kind of an interesting little, little tidbit I found. Um, yeah. And, um, and George Raft, the guy who plays the mob boss, um, Spats uh, Colombo. Columbo. Yeah, he. I, I recognize him from uh, the original Scarface movie, the 1932 Scarface, uh, which a lot of some people know this, some people don't know this, but the the Al Pacino Scarface that we that everybody loves knows and loves from the 80s. That's actually a one of the remake. first remakes. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a re- yeah, yeah, it's it's a remake. Original Scarface. It's a remake of the 1932 Scarface, really? I which did not starred know that. Paul Muni. 
who is uh, or was i should say the um the cousin of edward g Ro- the great edward g robinson and um so edward g robinson was not a fan of george raft like they did not they did not get along and apparently they like i think they even got into like a fist fight at some point behind the scenes I- I feel like old tiny Hollywood, like forties and fifties, nobody liked each other. Everybody just hated everyone. <laughs> they just tolerated each other, and they were just like, "We're making money. We're put up." Uh, apparently, so George Raft, um, he was actually really close friends with uh, Benjamin Siegel, Bugsy Siegel, who um, he was like, you know, if, if for anybody who doesn't know who that was, like he was a really big mobster who. Um, was famous for sort of inventing Las Vegas. Like he's the one who put, Oh yeah. He's the one who put Las Vegas on the map. And not only that, like if, if you watch the Godfather, they call him Mo green, but in real life, his name was Benjamin Siegel, AKA Bugsy Siegel. Um, and so long story short, Bugsy Siegel and George Raft, the, the guy who plays the mob boss in this movie, they were really good friends. They grew up together in New York city and when Siegel was living in LA uh, to sort of like do mob business in Los Angeles, uh, he stayed at George Raft's home uh, in Hollywood while he was setting up his business deals. Um, so that you know that was kind of like a, a little a little side thing that uh, that that's. I'll what be honest we- with you. You could have like said any reference of names. Like I thought. You could have just made up names when you were talking about those different people right then. Like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm a huge <laughs> like buff when it comes to like 1940s, 1950s mob stuff. Like anything that's like Italian mob, like Jewish mob. I know all the like the names inside out, man. Like Ar- Arnold Rothstein and Bugsy Siegel and stuff like that. Yeah, Mickey Cohen, all those guys. Like, I I love history in general, but like when it comes to mob history, I just I have this like weird fascination with like 1930s, 40s, 50s mob figures. The Italian type mobs, dude. Sounds like we need to actually watch a mob. Look here, see, Um, I'm not saying nothing, coppers. Look here, see. Listen here, Bugsy. Me and me and Spatch and Fatch and Matt over here are gonna go uh, bust some kneecaps if you know what I'm saying. Um. <laughs> really, you could have fooled me. <laughs> eh, uh, yeah, we're mis- we're misogynist here. What do you expect? Eh? Um, <laughs> uh, so you mentioning uh, Scarface? So there's there's we're still talking about our favorite scenes in the movie. Like Joshua has to do his, mm-hmm. but the other scene that caught me off guard was apparently a reference to the original Scarface, where there's this dude that's <laughs> flipping a coin. Yeah, that was actually George Raft. It's the, it's the same <laughs> and, actor. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and there's like this line he's like flipping the coin and spat says like where'd you learn that cheap trick like referencing scarface but the thing that caught me off guard and probably one of the hardest times i laughed in this movie he's flicking this coin and you know like there's like the old cartoon portrayal of like the cool mobster flipping mm-hmm. a coin and he barely has to move his hand and it keeps landing in his thumb or whatever <laughs> this guy <laughs> is He's sitting there, he flicks the coin and then has to like, like he's trying to catch a fly just while he's delivering lines, have to reach up and like grab the coin, like, like has to awkwardly grab it. And he does it like several times and it never looks cool. It just looks awkward. And it was the funniest thing for me. Like, 
I don't know what it was. It just him awkwardly having to grab the coin out of the sky and like uh, reshuffle it back into his hand and trying to be like, you are the nerdiest mobster I've ever seen. <laughs> it does. <laughs> we had to have his line labeled on the coin so he would remember it. And they had to, they had to do it on both sides, though, just in case it landed. on the Yeah, floor. that's crazy. I, I I guess I'm, I don't know. I, I didn't really pay attention to that. I was like, wow, he's so cool. I want to be just like him. Well, you're telling him to like multitask, read your line, and flip the coin at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it was the opposite for me. Like completely, just the n- nerdiest mobster. Well, I, I mean, I I grew up I grew up watching like those like James Cagney films, like oh, oh you dirty rat. Ah, oh, see, yeah, yeah, see, man, yeah. Well, yeah, but when they flick a coin, they don't even like look at it. They just like catch it in their hand. It's fine. Like he's just so awkwardly. Yeah. Uh, So what was your favorite scene or scenes, Josh? Uh, Well, I mean, obviously the ending, um, we mentioned that. Um, I also I really like this. The scene. There's two scenes on the train that always get me. Um, The uh, the one where he's like, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. And then the two leggy blondes walk by. (laughs) <laughs> they just they have a big old party in his in his little bunk. <laughs> like, a, we need ice. Kids, we're having a party. <laughs> and he's like, ah. And then the second one is the the one that you mentioned where they start having the party. And I just thought it was hilarious that everybody's got like one of them has the vermouth, the other one has the cheese, the other one has like crackers, and like all of a sudden everybody's like got. A piece of the a piece of the puzzle, and like they're all just like they they make this like party work. I thought that was pretty funny. You know what happens when you eat crackers in bed? Um, <laughs> I I do just w- one little thing. Um, I thought those scenes were shot really well, and actually quite a bit of the actual cinematography in this. I thought there was just some really cool like long takes and like the look down the alleys. There was just some really cool perspective things that like a movie from the thirties wouldn't have. And so like having this mixture of it being 1959 also set in the 1920s gives it this really cool, timeless feeling while not incredibly dated. Like I thought there was just a nice mixture between the cinematography and other than a few performances that it's very, uh, Marilyn Monroe is very of like the acting of the 1930s and stuff. Very, Yes. I have to add that um, Jack's line in that scene is always priceless. It's always priceless where he and Marilyn Monroe are having this conversation where he, uh, I think uh, sugar will say, I need to pay you back for what you have done. You saved my life. I would have been kicked out. Uh, name it. He's like, I have so many on my list. And she comes in. He's like, well, that's one of them. I started laughing. I was like, this is a hands down perfect role for him. I'm glad he's doing it. He, <laughs> he, he really was the shining star for me. Also the, the millionaire guy. I, I enjoyed like the chemistry that they, they two had, uh, the two of them had. And also <laughs> Zowie. <laughs> um, the chemistry between uh, Jack and and uh, Tony, uh, I thought was really well. Any scene that Tony wasn't with Jack, I thought Tony's performance was severely lacking. And 
again, a lot of it, people like uh, the information I could find is like the actors were legitimately exhausted after doing 50 takes for Marilyn Monroe. That that was something like they were legitimately exhausted and were unhappy with their performance. So I think the director had to cut earlier takes of their performances and have like, they just had to do a lot of work around because of Marilyn. That's what we had to do with Beta. Now, now, let's not get too mean. <laughs> don't kill, don't kill me, don't kill me. It's not so deaf, but you know, you got to sleep with your eyes open pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old Persian message. It means Josh is. You're gonna end up. Yeah, or else you're going to end up sleeping with the fishes, Josh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can visualize the face Beta made when she said that, but. <laughs> I just love watching the behind the footage of this filmmaking because you can see how much like when they're on the beach, when he has to, especially Jack has to like jump around and pretend like he has water in his ear and act like girly when he's doing it. (laughs) Um, That is just absolutely hilarious. Also also in the behind the scenes, you can see the little pile of hair that's been pulled out from Billy Wilder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A little, a little, sorry, a bit of a tangent here, but uh, as I was mentioning, uh, George Raft had a lot of mob connections and stuff like that. But he also had a, a feud with um, with Edward G. Robinson. Here's a little connection to Edward G. Robinson. So the guy who pops out of the cake and shoots everyone is Edward G. Robinson Jr. Interesting. So. So basically the son of the actor who he de- who he doesn't like in real life is the guy who M- murders him shoots him in this murders, mo- him. murders him in this movie. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting that uh, it, yeah, Edward G Robinson Jr, the son of Edward G Robinson uh is the the guy who ends up shooting him in this movie. Huh. <laughs> I'm not going to sell being shot. I'm going to stand straight up. Screw this kid. Um, He'll <laughs> <laughs> never have a career in Hollywood. I can see that in the background. I don't like this guy. Well, sadly, he's going to shoot you. Man, um, does anyone know the rating? I totally forgot to. Uh, I think 8.2 on IMDb. Um, yeah. But as Josh mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, yeah, like a lot of collegiate research or like uh, surveys being done like this gets put at least in like the top five in so many or the top 10 like this is considered one of the greatest comedies of all time and yeah I don't know if I would put it that high like I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a huge film buff I had never seen this movie but even after seeing it I don't know if I would place it if I would rate it that highly I don't know I feel like it doesn't do it for me I yeah, I did enjoy it and I enjoyed a lot of the clever dialogue and a lot of the little jokes that easily passed by. And again, Jack yeah. Lemmon's performance was what like if he wasn't a part of it, yeah, I would I have a lot more worse things to say about this movie. <laughs> but um uh yeah, it's like I said, I can see the blueprints of some of my favorite comedies in this movie. So like I can appreciate what it represents, what it was and how, whether purposefully or accidentally did help with like the progress, like the progressive nature of Hollywood, at least 
in in, in the yeah. slightest background form. But uh, the best comedy for me, no, maybe maybe top fifty, maybe something like that. Mm. But uh, I I did I do want to end on a pause and say I did enjoy this movie and I'm going to watch more Jack Lemmon movies. <laughs> so would that be your favorite actor? In this? Uh, yeah, it's either that or Harry Wilson. He, he almost stole a show. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'm kind of leaning towards either Jack or Tony because they're both they're together. And I understand what you just said, Sean, because together they're great acting together. They kind of like fit as a good combo, but when they're by themselves, it's like lacking, especially for Tony. I do apologize on his behalf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure he appreciates that. (laughs) Well, Billy's six feet under, so he he couldn't care less, kid. (laughs) Yeah. He started asking too many questions, you see? Yeah. I don't know why. I've, again, another visual reference. I'm like popping my shirt as I'm doing this. See, I don't think even gangsters really did this, but it helps me get in the character. You have to do the, the coin toss and like awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Joey's going to be sleeping with the fish's goddamn coin. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, it's a great gimmick. It's a great gimmick, if all, but you can't do it <laughs> half-assed and awkward as hell. We we got to bring that. We got to bring that back. The coin, the coin flip. We we have to. As a, as a, someone who is starting out his filmmaking career, it, it, it kind of goes to what is known as actors' business. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this term, but actors' business when you're coaching or you're directing your actor. Actors' business is when you give them something to do with their hands while they're delivering a line to sort of get their mind off of self being self-aware that you're acting and make it look a little bit more effortless. Cause when you're when the let well, because like the Marilyn last thing Monroe? you want is for your actor to be self-aware that they're an actor pretending to be this character. So you got you kind of have to get out of your head a little bit. And sometimes the way to do that is to give the actors something to do physically with their hands with something in the scene, which is why like in a lot of movies or in a lot of TV shows, one of the most common things, and this kind of, this is like a pet peeve of mine, but one of the common things you'll see is like people getting up and like pouring a glass of whiskey or like pouring a glass of wine. Like it, that's such a common thing, but that's, that is actor's business. Like you're doing, you're giving the actors uh uh, something uh, a physical objective to do in that scene with their hands to sort of get them out of their head and focus less on the delivery of the lines. That, and but anyway, smoking or drinking. Yeah, so you start drinking. But anyway, actors' business in the coin flip is a type of actors' business. It's like Sean pointed out. It's it's a bit of a complicated actors' business because it does. It requires a little bit more attention than your normal actor's business. So I think it's probably not the best physical objective to give an actor while you're delivering lines. But nevertheless, that's, um, you know, that's my spiel. That's what I wanted to say about that. 
It'd be it'd be similar to instead of like pouring yourself a whiskey and taking a drink, juggling three glasses while you're trying to pour it and delivering your lines. Like that's how it felt. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too it's a little too complicated for actors' business. I think like it it, it requires a little too much effort to try to to keep both of those things uh, at the forefront of your mind. I think one of the best actors' businesses that I've seen in a scene. I don't know if you guys have, if. I know Bita's probably never seen this movie, but Sean, have you seen Copland with uh, Sylvester Stallone? Mm, no, I don't think I have actually. I heard of it. So there's this, if you, for anybody interested in this sort of thing, like behind the scenes stuff, or if you guys want to check this out, um, Google, uh, there's this scene where Robert De Niro is talking to uh, Sylvester Stallone and they, they both play cops in, in this movie. And there's this one scene where, Sylvester Stallone goes into Robert De Niro's office and he's trying to tell Robert De Niro's character something, but De Niro isn't really paying attention. He's just kind of over it. He doesn't want to talk to Stallone's character. And in order to like really sell the scene, they were actually in the middle of lunch and he decided to incorporate his sandwich in the scene. And as Stallone's character is like, delivering Stallone is delivering his lines. De Niro is just like paying more (laughs) attention to the sandwich. And he's like looking for (laughs) napkins and he's like kind of like doing everything, but pay attention to (laughs) Sylvester Stallone. And I thought it was like, it was the best, like one of the coolest examples of actress business. Cause it's, it's such a simple thing, but once you like familiarize yourself with, the process that goes into like getting into a character, the process that goes into directing your actors and getting them ready for a scene. You really start to uh, see how valuable those tiny little things are in, in movies and stuff that you, I guess your normal odd, your normal lay person watching a movie would never really pick up on. But uh, anyway, that that's uh, I think a really good example of, of, of good actors business, as opposed to flipping a damn coin and you know, trying to remember yeah. your lines at the uh, same time. <laughs> I laughed way too hard watching him struggle with that coin. Um, flipping that damn coin, man. <laughs> it's just a damn thing. 30 takes. And that was the best one. Um, <laughs> Oh my god, you know what really cracks me up is when they were patting them down for any weapons. Like seriously. I'm like, who 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 can get away with that? <laughs> yeah, the gun. <laughs> what? It's unloaded. <laughs> and then they shake down the other leg and all the bullets come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a Tommy gun with a golf club at the end of it. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I, I thought that was, cla- but I was laughing so hard. Any scene, you know, it's cheesy, but any scene that you watch of that film, I think that's what I was telling people when I watch these. I watch this film just to give me that uh, pick me up boost. <laughs> like I want something funny to watch on a rainy day, something weird but classy, cheesy, and this is perfect. Like well, that- it's like Chester Cheetah said. Oh God. It's like Chester Cheetah said. Sean knows what I'm about to say. It ain't easy being cheesy. Does anybody have any any last words before we uh, put this podcast uh, six feet below, swimming with the fishes? Ah, uh, with with cement shoes. With cement shoes. Yeah, lay lay it to rest. Yeah. Any um, final final words? 
oh, no, here's one more thing. Did you know they had trouble shooting with the sound? What do you mean? Uh... In Coronado, because of the whole air, the, the Navy base was like around there. So the sound of the airplane was going by as they're shooting. So they had to do a huge pause and not to mention with the wind and everything. So they had to reshoot some of the scenes outside again because of the whole sound quality really messed it up. Oh, that sucks. I, I yeah, <laughs> I <Really> messed it up. <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I've had to deal with that as someone who lives in San Diego as well. <laughs> Not airplanes. Um, I, I just want to say this movie still holds up. Um, it's pretty timeless. Uh, this anybody who loves kind of that renaissance of comedy with like Mel Brooks or airplane in the seventies and the eighties and that kind of stuff, like this is the predecessor to those movies. And like that, the Tommy gun with the golf club at the end of it, like that's a prime example of like, that's something you would, you would see in a naked gun film, just something so stupid and silly like that. Um, so anybody who loves like that kind of comedy, this is worth a watch. Like it, it's cool to see the, the beginnings of this comedic renaissance that isn't just 100% slapstick, but a lot of really well written and turn of phrase jokes that. I, it's it's worth another watch for me to go back and like pick up on p- p- plenty of things I missed because there's like a joke every yeah. uh, 20, 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, and as for me, I I totally I agree with what Sean said. I, I think this is I don't know if I would <laughs> go as far as saying that it's timeless, but it it does have uh, its charm. It has its appeal, and even in in you know twenty twenty two when we're re- recording this podcast, I think it it's uh, it's definitely worth watching at least once. Um, there's, it's, it's a very smartly written script and in per- at least once, <laughs> sorry, in particular, in particular, my sister made me watch this movie once, once, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And with that, um, just one final bit of trivia for you. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but so apparently um, Jerry Lewis was also considered um, for uh, Jack Lemon's role. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so Jerry Lewis was considered, but he turned it down because he didn't want to dress in drag just like uh, Tony Curtis. But when Jack Lemon got the Oscar nomination, Lewis, this is according to Jerry Lewis. He says that um, Lemon sent him chocolates every year <laughs> just to thank him for that Oscar nomination for because he turned down the role. Could have um, done it so, without you. you know, obviously, not being a uh, part of this. <laughs> Jerry, yeah, Jerry Lewis. Yeah, apparently uh, Lewis regretted not taking that role uh, later on down the line. But uh, oh, Frank Sinatra was on board, but he never showed up. I'm not sure I see Frank Sinatra in, in either of these roles, to be <laughs> honest. He's too much of a... I could not, know. Maybe, maybe Tony's character, uh, Joey, or Joe, maybe that. Oh, he de- he he had to, if he would have been cast, he definitely had to play oh. the straight man. There's no I, way in hell he would have been the, the, the Jack S- Lemon Sinatra doesn't at all. seem like the guy that would happily dress in drag and not like 
He's too much he, of a manly man. Like he, there's no way he like would have done Sinatra that. Sinatra is toxic max masculinity encapsulated and like soaked in bourbon. Like <laughs> S- Sinatra is is to men what Marilyn Monroe is to women. <laughs> like he, he he's like he's just as um. In certain ways. He's just as problematic, but just equally as idolized by their respective for, uh, gender for or sex or for I'm, some uh, reasonable reasons and other reasons. Like, I don't know why they were. <laughs> yeah. There's like some things, but yeah. So you could tell I'm, I'm, I'm also not a huge Frank Sinatra fan. Like I like yeah. some of his songs, but I, I'm not no. going to idolize. I'm not going to idolize the guy. Idolizing then, anybody is a very dangerous game, especially with the internet now. <laughs> Um, I do have yet again my podcast within a podcast. Uh, uh, Sean's movie uh, suggestion. Suggestion. Yeah. What was what? Are we, oh, mo- movie, movie corner of the month. Movie corner of the month. Um. So there's a movie in 1984. I love spoof movies, and this was being a mafioso kind of esque movie. It reminded me of it. It's called Johnny Dangerously. Um. It's, it's starring Michael Keaton as like the main guy and it's not the best spoof movie, but it's, it's a guilty pleasure from my childhood. That's where I took the line of like, you know, my sister shot me once, once <laughs> there's the whole little running joke with that. Yeah. You'd have to watch to understand any, but, um, <laughs> yeah, go watch Johnny dangerously. If you enjoy spoofy mafiosa kind of. Kind of vibes. I like that. That was Sean's movie corner of the month. Well then, <laughs> there you have it, folks. Um, I guess one final thing before we go. I, I you did mention uh, the Naked Gun, Sean. I just want to kind of pitch that as uh, one of the future topics. Uh, will... I think that would be a good one to to review at some point. Maybe not the next episode, but some sometime in the near if, future, I hope we can if review we do, the Naked That Gun. episode is going to be like twice as long as the Harry Potter episode. Like, I could talk about that movie. I could talk about that trilogy of movies for days. Uh, well, I have to watch it. I really need to push myself to watch these. I- I love that movie, and I think, Bita, if you haven't seen it, you are in for a treat. It is, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic movie, um, but yeah, we could talk about that later. I just kind of want to pitch that as as, as a, a potential topic. Pre-subscribe today in on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or whatever you listen to your podcasts, and I hope you tune in to our episode number nine coming soon and by any chance if none of you guys have ever came to san diego to see coronado please you are welcome and yes i am advertising for san diego oh apparently oh Oh, no there it goes there's the ending goodbye it goes Ah. (laughs) wait (laughs) got a bridge it's big we have a bridge we have beaches Beaches, parks. Uh, what are you doing here? Just come to California, man. You got some pretty decent Mexican food, y'all. <laughs> Anywho, we'll see you another time. Josh and Bita versus the Multiverse was created by Josh Hernandez, Bita Roxana, and Sean R. Producer by me, Bita Roxana. Editor by me as well. Intro vocals by Daniel Lujan. Music by El God. Used by permission by premiumupbeat.com. 
Subscribe on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcast. You can also check out our Twitter page and Instagram by following us at JBVS Multiverse. See you, Space Cowboys. Beep, 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 beep.